Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Brave Church Podcast, and thanks for listening. At the end of this talk, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook or Instagram, where you can get even more connected to what's going on in our community. But most importantly, we hope the following talk inspires you to take your next step in finding or following Jesus. Today, we're concluding our series, Love Story, through the gospel. We spent a year and a half in the Gospel of Mark. Ruth is not a gospel, in case you're wondering. Uh, we're, we've spent like a year and a half in the Gospel of Mark, but now we're in the book of Ruth from the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. And if you didn't get notes, raise your hand, and our ushers will get those to you so that you can follow along. But we're going to be in Ruth chapter 4, looking at verses 13 through 22. And while you're going there, here are some things that you need to know about these final verses. Okay, This is the epilogue of Ruth. Everything is being concluded. We're reading the wrap-up. There have been a lot of huge TV shows in the last decade or so that have had terrible endings. Like, fans hate the last episode of a lot of big TV shows. I saw a petition online this last week. People are petitioning to reshoot the ending of Game of Thrones. So that's how serious people get about how shows wrap up. But what's awesome about this story is that God writes the best endings And it has an incredible ending. Remember, Naomi was devastated. She lost everything. The circumstances were tragic. But in these final verses, we see the resolution of all things. So let's begin reading verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. When Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him, the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nishan. Nishan, the father of Salman. Salman, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. You guys can clap. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but let's pray before we, before we get started. God, I just thank you for every person here Every person here that's seeking you, that's here to hear from you. We all are here for different reasons, but God, I I pray that you would open our hearts. I pray that you would open our minds. I pray that we would see things that you want to show us and that we would leave today changed. In your name, amen. amen. As I was praying and reading through this ending of Ruth last week, I was reflecting, and we spent six weeks in this book, and I was really struck by the fact that it is the best ending possible. Things started off so rough, but look where they're ending up. Everything is working out, not one loose end. Even the genealogy is like a teaser after the credits. Like if you are a big Marvel fan, we wait till the end of the credits for the teaser at the end that's going to point to something else. Well, this genealogy is kind of like that. In fact, God, he created the teaser after the credits. And so we'll get to that in a bit. But check this out. In just a few short verses, a whole year goes by. And all of these loose ends are tied up. All of these things are coming together. But if we're not paying close attention, we're going to miss something. The big problem of the book of Ruth isn't Ruth finding a husband. It's not Boaz finding a wife. It's not even Ruth having children. The big problem 
of the book of Ruth is Naomi's emptiness. We learn about it right at the beginning. For those of you who weren't with us or need the season recap, here's where it started in chapter one, verse three. It says, Naomi's husband died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they lived there about 10 years, both Milan and Kilion also died and Naomi was left without her sons and her husband. Then in verse 20, we see how Naomi feels about this. She says, don't call me Naomi. She told them, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought great misfortune upon me. If you're taking notes, circle that word empty. Naomi's emptiness is the big issue of this book. But listen, it's not just an issue for a woman named Naomi way back when. I wonder how many of you here today are working through emptiness. On some level, you feel empty inside. And that's not a popular thing to confess. Usually when we talk about emptiness in church, we're referring to an emptiness inside of us that's a hole that only Jesus can fill, that's something that only Jesus is the solution to. But notice Naomi, she knew Yahweh. She worshiped the same God. She was empty because life hit her hard. Have you ever asked someone how they're doing and, and they just said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm feeling a little empty inside. No, nobody says that. Yet we all find ourselves at this place of emptiness at some time or another. Sometimes it's obvious because of something horrible that's happened, something unexpected. Other times it's more like this slow burn. One day you wake up and you just realize, I don't feel as full as I used to. Something's wrong. Something's, something's off. If you're here today, and this may be your first Sunday with us, you might have missed every other talk in this series, and I just want you to know that you're here for a reason. You're just in time. My prayer for everyone in this room is that God would speak to us and prepare us to deal with emptiness well. But we've got to make it through this emptiness together if we're going to experience this incredible ending that God wants to write for the story of our lives. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is, what makes you feel empty? What makes me feel empty? What makes us feel empty? It's all relative. For some, you feel empty trying to afford the cost of living here in the Bay Area, reasoning that out with the dreams and desires that you have always had from wherever you used to live or whatever you've seen. For others, emptiness is is when your values are disconnected from your actions. When our daughter was born, I gained 10 pounds. And I'm like, too young to go dad bod? So I was like, hey, I'm going to do something about this. So I shaved my beard to look thinner. (laughs) Maybe you've lost a loved one. Unexpected. Some of you are like, well, I don't have a beard, so what do I do? I don't know. (laughs) Some of you might be single, and you've been searching for a partner. You've been searching for the person that God wants to give you to walk through life with. And you feel so empty as you've been waiting. Maybe you're a parent and the new routine of having a child has just meant the death or the postponing of some of your dreams. You're wrestling with that. Maybe some of you, you're an older parent and your kids are making decisions and going directions that you never wanted for their lives and you're not sure what to do about it and you feel empty. I don't know what makes you feel empty, but you do. And the truth is we all deal with emptiness And if we aren't careful and we don't navigate emptiness well, we can find ourselves with an ending that is so much less 
than the one God wants to write for our lives. If you're exploring faith and and you've come in here with some views of what you think Christians believe or how they see things, this may contradict some of what you've heard, what you're going to hear today, because here at Brave, we know that life can be messy and that Jesus doesn't promise a perfect life for anyone, but we want to walk through our problems together. There's a verse in 1 John 4.18. I love this verse. It says, perfect love casts out fear. This verse is saying that if we're full of the love of God, there'll be no apprehension. There'll be no fear when we approach God. And I think this is true in our relationships as well. When you know how much someone loves you, when you see how full of love they are, you have no fear in approaching them. One of the things that I love about our church's name is how deeply connected it is to love because you cannot be truly brave without being full of love. When you're full of love, you're the bravest that you can be. Even when it's scary at times, even when leaning in means uncomfortable conversations or difficult ones, we face problems bravely even when our voices quiver and our knees shake. Naomi was a mess. She was empty, but she decided to work through it. She decided to be faithful in the midst of her emptiness, in the depths of her sadness. You might feel a mess right now. I don't, I don't know where you're at this morning. You can be real about that around here. Today, we're talking about dealing with emptiness because it must be dealt with. Emptiness, it's a lot like hunger. If you're hungry and you don't eat, what happens? And this isn't a trick question. You get hungrier, Right? Emptiness is a lot like that. If you have an emptiness inside of you, no matter how small it is, if not dealt with, it grows. And it can cause us to become stuck in a place we don't want to stay. The truth is we all have a way of dealing with our emptiness, a way that we initially tried to solve it. Some of us turn to substances. Some turn to spending money that we don't have. Some turn to porn. Some turn to food and alcohol. Some escape. Some just turn on the TV We all turn to something in our emptiness. But in this story, what we see in these characters is they turn to God and they turn to godly community and they get a great ending. This story gives us a picture of how God wants to deal with our emptiness. So how does God deal with emptiness? That's what we're going to look at today. In Naomi's story, we can identify three sources of emptiness. We're going to address all three of these because emptiness is a symptom, not a source. See, these sources that we're going to look at, these are deeper reasons that we find ourselves feeling empty, but their emptiness is a symptom, not a source. So the first source that we're going to look at is death. Look at verse 13 again. It says, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. So how does God deal with death? Number one, where there is death, God births new life. Where there is death, God births new life. In chapter one, Naomi remarks that she left her land full. She had her husband, she had her sons, and she returned empty. And she was empty because of death. So it's very significant that Ruth bears a child. The women are celebrating. They're saying, this child will bring Naomi back to life. Verse 15, he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. A few weeks ago, I had the honor of doing a funeral for a wonderful woman in our church, and she's lost two sons. This was the second son that she had lost. 
She has three total. And so after the death of her second son, she reached out to me and I was um, preparing to do her funeral. And I, and I asked her how she was doing. And she said she was on her way to work. And I thought, well, that's odd. It's pretty recent. I'm surprised she was going back to work. But she's a nanny. And she said, you know, there's something about the sadness. And then having the love of a three-year-old, that's just what I needed. New life gives us hope. It comforts us. It reminds us that there is still a future. We had this dog growing up, a German Shepherd. She was the best dog we ever had. No disrespect to the dog we have now. But she was awesome. And when she was about seven or eight, we decided to get a puppy. And it was so cool because this puppy invigorated her. And she lived many more years. She started acting like a puppy again. The best older people I know stay surrounded by youth. They stay surrounded by new life. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed that some of the friendliest old people I know work at the Apple store. Like, they're always friendly. They're never cranky. Probably when they get home, they are. But at the Apple store, they're great. Death creates a void. And it's not just when people die. It's also when there's a death of a dream or a vision. It can create an emptiness inside of us. And in the absence of new life, we go into this dark place. Maybe you once wanted to do something or be someone. And then God had a different plan and life took you a different direction. But maybe it's left you a little cynical of people that are living that dream. Notice this passage refers to Ruth's son as Naomi's. It it wasn't her son, but it continued her family lineage. And she received this boy as her own. She didn't say, well, that's great, God, but you didn't bring back my sons. No. And even in the announcement of the birth of this boy, it's so cool. Normally, this announcement would be made to the father who's waiting nearby. But instead, the author uses his literary license to make the story about Naomi, that, 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 that Naomi, who was childless, now has a son. If you've experienced death in your family or death of a close friend, a season for mourning is necessary. It's appropriate. But then you have to embrace new life. If you've lost a son or daughter, guess what? There are a lot of young people here at Brave that need spiritual mothers and fathers. They may not have lost their mother or father, but they've moved here for work from far away, and there's a void. And you need them as well. God wants to fill your emptiness with new life. What death have you experienced? Whether it's the death of a career, the death of a marriage, the death of a friendship, the death of a dream. And when God brings this new life into your heart, when he brings this new life into your life, it won't replace what you've lost. But that doesn't mean it's second best. Naomi saw this grandchild as God richly rewarding her for her faithfulness. It was a gift from God. Only God can make a woman who was unable to have children for 10 years in a foreign land instantly conceive when she's married to the person that God has given her. Number one, where there is death, God births new life. And the next source of emptiness for Naomi was loneliness. Verse 15, he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Number two, God gives us a new kind of family for support. Naomi lost her husband and she lost her sons. The only way Naomi could make it through all of this, through this emptiness, is with a daughter-in-law named Ruth who loved her. Ruth is said to be better than seven sons. 
In Hebrew culture, the number seven symbolizes perfection. They happen to be literal family. But did you know that the church is designed to be a family that's just as close as those who are blood-related? When we decide to follow Jesus, we join the family of God, and we're united by something that is way stronger than being connected by blood. We are united by a relationship with Jesus, by what Jesus has done for us, by the life he is inviting us into. And so this is why you can have a family member that's far from God and you can feel closer to someone in your spiritual community that's maybe nothing like you, that you have nothing in common with, but you have shared the most intimate experience possible with. And that is being changed by the grace of God, saved by the one who who can only save us. It changes everything. And so at this point, Ruth and Naomi, they are so connected. When she says she's going to leave everything and come with her to what for her was a foreign land, she says, your God will be my God. Loneliness can be so sad. I have a friend who's single, and he was living in this area, and he just moved. And Marcy and I would reach out to him every now and then and, and get together with him, but he didn't have a community And so he was incredibly lonely. If you're lonely, you've got to dive into community. You've got to initiate. You've got to see that this is something that's creating an emptiness in your life that is not good. And it can lead us to do a lot of things that are not God's best for us. Following Jesus isn't just a personal thing. It is so much more than social. We need deep friendships with people that are connected to Jesus One of of God's greatest solutions to loneliness is the church. And did you know that you were created to need more than God? Some of you are like, really, is is that true? Are we really created? Yes, we're created to need more than God. God created us to not only need him, but to need each other. Galatians 6, 2, it says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Sometimes we feel empty because we're trying to carry burdens that we were never created to carry on our own. One of the coolest things of this last year for me in in my wife and I's faith journey, and and, and it's just been so cool to to watch in her life, has has been this unfortunate and and tragic situation with her dad's health. It's been really hard. Uh, A few months ago, he actually was able to get a liver transplant, but his body hasn't been responding very well, and it's it's just been difficult. He just had another surgery last week, so... Thank you for all of you who have been praying for him. Please continue to pray for him. But one of the coolest things has been seeing how this new family, this church family that we have, has been able to support us in ways that our own blood-related family couldn't. There have been people that have reached out to her and have been through the exact same thing she's going through. There are people that have given us airline points to go and visit him. Someone even offered to be a donor. (laughs) It's crazy. But what's been so cool is a season that could have led to bitterness and emptiness and sadness and loneliness and depression. Instead of going into those places because there's a support system, there's a new family that we're embracing and has embraced us. Instead, it's deepening her faith. It's deepening relationships. One of the main ways that we live life together as a community here at Brave Church is in home churches. Home church is the heartbeat of our church, so don't be confused by what I'm about to say because home church is where it's at, okay? It is the heartbeat of our church, but home churches are about to go on a break until the fall. And home church is where deep connections are formed, but home churches aren't necessarily 
where your deepest friendships are. Pastoring, I meet with people all, at all different stages of life, going through different seasons and different things. And so I've got a front row seat to a lot of things. And one of the things I've just noticed is that loneliness is usually a choice. It's usually a choice. There, there are people that God has brought into our lives, whether it's at home church, whether, it's, whether you meet them on the team that you're serving in, or wherever you might have connected, that God wants to be part of an even closer friendship, an, an intimate inner circle of friendships where you can be completely transparent with, where you can be 100% honest, where you can walk through anything with. See, Jesus actually had a group like this. Jesus, we, he had 70 disciples, this broader group of disciples, and then he had the 12 that we often hear about. But even inside that 12, there were three that he was closest with, Peter, James, and John. I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, the loneliness we experience is because we're surrounded by so many people, and yet we're still lonely because we don't have those relationships that we're going deep with, that we're, living, that we're processing our lives with, that we're praying with. So you might find that at home church, and that's one of the hopes, right? But you can't socially engineer this. You can't force it. You can't make that happen. It doesn't replace having an inner circle. And so this is something to initiate. Homework for this week is to name your three. Who are those three people in your life in this season? And if you want extra credit, let them know this week that's how you see the relationship, that that's who they are in your life. For some of you, it may be time to evaluate if you've got those three. For others, it might be a season of rebuilding and prayerfully asking God, God, who are you bringing into my life? for this reason, for this season. Here are a few questions that you can ask yourself, and this is in your notes. These are questions that you can ask yourself in, in helping define this inner circle. So the first question is this. Do I feel comfortable confessing sin and praying with this person? James 5.16, it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. See, when we confess our sins to God, we are forgiven. But when we confess to one another, something different, different happens. This verse says that we start to experience healing because we've gotten it out there. If you can't confess your sins with someone, then you can't grow together. So this is a marker of a, of a spiritual friendship. And maybe ask yourself, when's the last time? Maybe you have some of those friends, but you're just not going deep enough. When's the last time I confessed to one of my friends a sin? Something that I'm struggling with that I know is not God's best, for my life, something in my heart that is creating a separation in my relationship with him. Seeking God for wisdom, clarity, direction, provision for your families together, for your lives together, praying together. Can you imagine feeling lonely with a friend that you can confess anything to and pray about anything with? The next question is, do they challenge me to work through issues from a biblical perspective rather than their opinion. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I don't know about you, but I don't need more friends with an opinion. Okay, opinions are a dime a dozen. Everybody has an opinion. But spiritual friendships look to scripture to discover God's opinion. And when you know God's opinion, it elevates things. It elevates them beyond your preferences. It even elevates things beyond our feelings. 
When we teach, rebuke, correct from scripture, there's power in it and it breathes life into one another. So opinions aren't always bad, but they're rarely what we need more of. And so one more thing to ask yourself, and this is really important, would I fight for them? Would I fight for them? Proverbs 17, 17, it says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Now it's really important not to dumb this verse down, okay? It doesn't mean anytime someone disagrees with your friend that you've got their back, okay? Sometimes your friend is wrong. It means that you love them enough to seek their best in any situation. A friend that becomes family, it pushes for our highest good. Friends that become family have uncomfortable conversations because they care that much. Hey, how's your marriage doing? How's your relationship with your children doing? When life hits us hard, these are friends that we know are by our side in the highs and the lows, the good and the bad. They fight for us. So how does God deal with emptiness? Number one, where there is death, God births new life. Number two, God gives us a new kind of family for support. And let's continue. Number three, from verse 17, we made it to the ending credits, guys. The teaser's coming. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and then named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then it goes on. You see the list of names. The last source of emptiness was hopelessness. This was a problem for Naomi. Would her family line continue, or would they be forgotten about forever? Did it end with her? So how does God deal with this? Number three, God gives us a new future to hope in. And this isn't just going to heaven when we die. This is here and now. We have a hope and a future that that begins here and now in godly community. One of the three blessings of the legal assembly when Boaz purchased of the land, which included the right to marry Ruth, one of the three blessings was that Boaz could flourish and be given renown through a family line whose size would be as great as the patriarch Jacob and whose significance would match that of Perez, which was the premier clan of Judah. This genealogy, which leads from Perez through to Boaz to David, shows just how much God intended to bless Boaz. This list of names, it's at the end of the book, but what it does is it takes this beautiful story of faithfulness and love and kindness. It takes this beautiful story and it lifts it to a national level. This would be remembered by all of Israel because it leads to King David. And what this said to the nation of Israel and what it says to followers of Jesus everywhere is that simple acts of love can lead to the best possible endings. This story is a story that is full of simple actions of love by people who felt empty. Ruth leaving everything to go with her mother-in-law, Naomi, Boaz showing them kindness. Naomi risking it all to see a future for Ruth. When we choose love in the midst of our emptiness, God gives us a new future to hope in. And just like in Ruth and Naomi's case, there are steps in front of us. There are actions that we're called to take. This love looks like something. Last week, Pastor Darren taught on having a lasting legacy, living a life that doesn't just create a memory that people talk about or does things that people write about. He said that the greatest legacy will be the one that lives on in the lives of those who follow.
Monday night, I had the opportunity to see Hillsong United at Oracle Arena, and it was incredible. They're a worship band. They sing a lot of songs that we do. In fact, I bet a lot of you were there. Um, I saw so many people that I knew. I saw, saw all your posts and stuff. It was pretty cool. But we're surrounded by thousands and thousands of people, 19,000 people. And for decades, their music has resonated with people all over the world. They started in Australia. It's gone all over the world. Songs like Oceans, What a Beautiful Name, Mighty to Save, So Will I, Hosanna, The Stand. The list goes on and on. Hillsong is literally the most impactful worship movement of our lifetime. And so it was just incredible to see this band called United that was the youth band of the church years ago. And it was incredible to see them older and what may be the last time they do a tour of worship nights. And towards the end, one of the bandmates came out and they were getting ready to play a song. And he started talking about when they started. And he said, you know, when we started, we were young. We were in our early 20s, late teens. We didn't really know how to play our instruments. We did not belong in a recording studio. We didn't, we didn't know how to write songs yet. I mean, we, it, it's crazy that we're even here. But he said, you know, from the very beginning, our heart was to love God and to love people and to not put a limit on what God could do through that. And then they were getting ready to play this song. And he was talking about this song. And he said that their band leader, Joel, who had written it, he actually wrote this song at the very beginning. It didn't make it onto an album until years later. He didn't think it was ready. But he wrote this song at the very beginning. And I love these lyrics because this is the heartbeat of the beginning of what God did through them. Listen to these lyrics. He said, in my heart and my soul, Lord, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out. Lord, let justice and praise become my embrace to love you from the inside out. That's a heart that leads to a life that God can bless many people beyond your lifetime through. What is the prayer of your heart? Ruth, Boaz, Naomi, their personal commitment to God had an effect way beyond their lifetime. In God's kingdom, a person's faithfulness often affects future generations. And so I'm here today standing on the faithfulness of previous generations. And it's so cool to see even our, new, our newborn daughter, she's four months. It's so cool to see that that's already having an impact on her. But I remember this time before she was born, and I haven't shared this story with too many people because it was just such an intimate moment between God and I. But I want to share it with you today. We were praying about her name, and we were kicking around the name Mia. And Mia in Spanish means mine. And I really wasn't settled on it, but I remember seeing a post on social media about a friend's church that was having a worship night in the city, and I just felt drawn to it. So I hopped on BART, I went out there by myself, and I had an incredible worship time with God. But the, the most incredible thing that happened was at the end of that night, I was praying for our daughter, and God told me to name her Mia. And he just confirmed it in my heart. But then he said something to me. He said, she will be mine all the days of her life. Her name means mine. And for me in that moment, it was so emotional. I teared up because it silenced fears that I didn't even realize I had. What if I can't pass on this passion for Jesus? You can't force, force it. You can't make it happen. She has to get to know God on her own. She has to have a real faith apart from me. And this promise from God was just so beautiful. It was just what I needed. The new future that God has for you is so much bigger than you. 
One of the interesting things about this list of names is that it's actually been edited. It's been shortened. There are names in between that have been left out intentionally because the author wanted to put Boaz in the favored seventh spot. And this was an honor, but it was also a very bold reminder to their nation that when common people act unselfishly, they can achieve uncommon results. Just yesterday, we had a brunch for those serving on Team Brave. And it was a great time. There were so many, uh, so many people there and we were being encouraged and reminded of the things that God is doing and the vision that he's given us. But I just want to remind you that if you've been attending and checking things out, you know, we talk about fast track, we talk about getting involved, but this is it, guys. It might not seem like the most important task you can think of to greet people at the door, but that's love in action. Amen? It might not seem like, you know, the most valuable thing that you could do for God to spend time weekly with middle schoolers or watch kids, but think about this. There are people right now serving our kids in the Brave Kids Room so that you can be right here having this impact. Not only are they learning about Jesus and are they growing in their faith, but you're being freed up because of their serving. And so I just want to encourage you, catching this vision, taking action, it's not just how it affects your personal life and your relationships and the emptiness you're dealing with, but it's also getting involved in caring about all the other people that don't know Jesus, that need help and need support to grow in their faith. The church is God's plan A. This is his mission. There's nothing else. We're it. This is God's greatest plan for impacting humanity. Jesus came to build the church. And so what we're a part of, I don't, I don't see anything more significant than being a part of a church that cares about people, that's seeing people baptize and come to faith. In a few moments, we're gonna have a baptism and maybe you're here and there are no generations behind you. Maybe you're the first. Maybe today you could be the first. Maybe today you're, you're coming to grips with this emptiness that's in your heart and you're recognizing that it is only Jesus that can deal with that. I wanna invite you to bow your heads as we pray. And if you're here today, and God wants to deal with your emptiness. He wants to give you his grace, fill you with his love. If you've never decided to follow Jesus, but you wanna make that decision today, I'm not gonna have you come up or come forward, but I'd love for you to raise your hand so that I know that you're making that decision. If you could raise your hand right now, I wanna pray for you. That's awesome. Is anybody else? That is awesome. If you're here today, and you have already decided to follow Jesus, but you're realizing that you've been trying to fill your emptiness on your own. And maybe today you need a fresh start. Maybe today God is reminding you, hey, you're not, you're not really leaning into the fullness of who I wanna be in your life, what I, what I can do in your life. If that's where you're at today, I just want you to raise your hand so that I can pray for you as well. Did you raise your hand? It's awesome. God, I pray for everyone here this morning. I pray for those who have decided to follow you for the first time, to commit their lives to you and their heart as they're in agreement with this. God, 
You are our Lord. You are our Savior. You are our best friend. And God, I pray for those that are be reminding, reminded of the friendship that you are someone that can be turned to in any season of life, no matter what we're facing. I pray that they would be filled with a passion, but also that they would, that they would have a hunger to spend more time with you, that they would have an awareness to see what your spirit is leading them towards, the people that you're bringing into their lives for a reason. God, I thank you for everything that you've done in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Bay Area, we would love for you to join us at a Sunday gathering in San Ramon. For directions, gathering times, or information about our Brave Kids program, visit us at brave.church. Also, if you want to help support what God is doing through Brave, you can give online to the Brave Foundation at brave.church forward slash foundation.